Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Sheldon, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In the next 30 minutes, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. Globally, more than 350 million people of all ages suffer from depression. Based on the epidemiologic data available, 30 to 60 percent of people with major depressive disorder will have treatment-resistant depression, a type of depression in which the patient does not experience sufficient relief after adequate rounds of medication. Repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, or RTMS, is an emerging treatment for this type of depression. RTMS is a non-invasive procedure in which cerebral activity is influenced by a rapidly changing magnetic field. In order to determine the efficacy, safety, and optimal protocol of RTMS treatment-resistant depression in adults and youth, Clement and colleagues completed a systematic review and meta-analysis. Seventy-three articles were included in this review. The body of evidence available suggests that RTMS is approximately twice as effective as a sham procedure. However, the optimal frequency, location, and intensity of RTMS remain unclear. There is likely no difference in efficacy between electroconvulsive therapy and RTMS. This work was supported by a financial contribution from Alberta Health. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a significant health concern among military members. Treatment options supported by the Veterans Affairs and the Department of Defense Clinical Practice Guidelines include psychotherapy or medication or a combination of the two. This study reviewed medical records of 275 patients with PTSD at a military community hospital to examine what medications were prescribed over a six-month period. Of the 275 patients examined, 243 patients, or 88%, had at least one medication prescribed, and 219, or 80%, received a prescription for a PTSD-related medication. The most commonly prescribed medication classes were selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, novel antidepressants, and anticonvulsants. More than half of the patients received prescriptions for more than one PTSD-related medication. Multiple medications may be necessary to treat the complex symptoms associated with PTSD or to treat co-occurring disorders such as sleep problems or depression. While these findings show prescribing practices that align with clinical practice guidelines, there are still potential risks associated with prescribing multiple medications. Overlapping periods of treatment with specific drugs can lead to negative interactions between the medications. However, no reported adverse events were found in the records reviewed. Occasional disturbed sleep is frequently reported, and individuals often turn to non-pharmacologic or over-the-counter agents to improve sleep. However, due to a lack of scientific evidence supporting the efficacy and safety of over-the-counter sleep aids for insomnia symptoms, 
Healthcare providers can only recommend sleep aids with caution. The objective of this article was to investigate the level of evidence supporting the use of common over-the-counter agents, diphenhydramine, doxylamine, melatonin, and valerian for occasional disturbed sleep or insomnia. This review was based on a systematic literature search of all published studies up to July 31, 2014, supporting the efficacy and safety of non-prescription agents for the management of occasional disturbed sleep, with a focus on summarizing only those studies conducted after 2002. Currently available literature suggests that commonly used over-the-counter sleep agents, especially antihistamines and valerian, continue to lack robust clinical evidence supporting efficacy and safety in relevant populations. A prolonged release formulation of melatonin appears to be efficacious for symptoms associated with sleep onset and shows a favorable tolerability profile but the effects may be limited to older individuals with insomnia. Further clinical investigations and novel treatments are needed to improve management of occasional disturbed sleep. Medical writing and literature search support were funded by Pfizer. Suicidal behavior, such as suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, and suicide completion, has been increasingly linked with difficulty initiating sleep, maintaining sleep, and early morning awakenings. However, the relationship between suicidal behavior and sleep duration abnormalities is unclear, especially at the population level. In this continuing medical education offering, the authors used a nationally representative sample to examine the association of suicidal ideation with extreme sleep durations and insomnia symptoms. Cross-sectional data from adult respondents were extracted from the 2007 through 2008 wave of the National Health and Nutritional Examination Survey. Ordinal logistic regression analyses were used to evaluate the relationship of suicidal ideation with sleep duration, global insomnia, and individual insomnia symptoms in models adjusted for sociodemographic, socioeconomic, and health-related covariates. Increased suicidal ideation was associated with abnormalities of sleep duration and was positively associated with insomnia. The authors recommend that clinicians screen for depressive disorder and suicidal ideation in patients complaining of insomnia and abnormalities of sleep duration. Social anxiety disorder is a prevalent, chronic, and disabling condition. The DSM-IV recognized a generalized form characterized by severe anxiety and avoidance in both interpersonal and performance situations. The age at onset of generalized social anxiety disorder is early. Academic, vocational, and social impairment are often severe and depression and alcohol abuse are common sequelae. The objective of this study was to examine the efficacy, safety, and tolerability of velazodone for outpatients aged 18 to 75 years with generalized social anxiety disorder. 
44 patients with generalized social anxiety disorder were randomized to velazodone or placebo in a 12-week double-blind flexible-dose trial. Change from baseline to endpoint on the Leibowitz social anxiety scale was the primary outcome measure. Secondary outcome measures included response and remission rates and changes in depression and anxiety. Data were collected between November 2012 and April 2014. The study was conducted at a private clinical trials facility in New York. There were no significant baseline differences in severity of social anxiety between the treatment groups. At the end of treatment, the intent-to-treat sample, the velazodone group, had improved significantly more than the placebo group by 14.3 points on the Leibowitz social anxiety scale. The authors conclude that velazodone may be a promising treatment for social anxiety disorder, although further study is needed given the limited sample size. Screening and treating patients with social anxiety in the primary care setting may limit the overall impact and subsequent health risks that the disorder can impose. The study was supported by an investigator-initiated grant from Forest Research Institute to the Medical Research Network. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, and Major Depressive Disorder commonly co-occur. In cases of treatment-resistant depression, stimulants have been successfully co-administered with monamine oxidase inhibitors. This report reviews the medical literature on combining stimulants with monamine oxidase inhibitors. A case is also presented documenting the successful treatment of major depressive disorder and comorbid ADHD using transdermal sedgeline and Listex amphetamine. This combination should be used cautiously and with ongoing monitoring of heart rate and blood pressure. Delirium is classified as hyperactive and hypoactive with an intermediate mixed subtype. Hyperactive delirium is characterized by restlessness, hypervigilance, rapid speech, irritability, and combativeness, whereas hypoactive delirium is characterized by psychomotor retardation, apathy, and reduced alertness. The objective of this study was to assess the differing patterns of cognitive impairment in the hyperactive and hypoactive subtypes of delirium and to test the hypothesis that cognitive disturbances are high in patients with hypoactive delirium. The study was conducted in a general hospital in India and included 80 patients with delirium. A detailed sociodemographic profile was obtained for each patient, and their cognitive function was assessed with the mini-mental-state examination and memorial delirium assessment scale. Patients were classified as hyperactive or hypoactive using the memorial delirium assessment scale. The authors found that hyperactive and hypoactive subtypes of delirium appear to have an etiologically different underlying diagnosis. Alcoholism and substance abuse disorders are usually associated with the hyperactive subtype of delirium. The hypoactive subtype of delirium is associated with more severe cognitive impairment. 
Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to read a new entry in our psychotherapy casebook section, many timely case reports, and special web-based interactive content. We update our website weekly with new postings, so there is always something new to explore. Also, we are excited to offer a digital flip page edition of this issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This turn page format will give you the feel of holding a print journal in your hands while allowing you to seamlessly navigate from article to article. We hope you will take a look at our digital journal as we think you will like it. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings in our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS Soundbites.